Okay, here we go. Hi, and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass Podcast, a show where we discuss movies and, well, more movies. So I'm (laughs) D-Man, joined by CP. CP, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, man. How are you? You know what? I'm actually excited for this week. I know we're going to be doing some uh, content on social media regarding D23 and all of Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars announcements coming out of that convention. There's already some cool stuff that we've seen. But more than that, we have some really cool topics on this week's episode, which we're going to get into right after we do a couple shout outs at the top of the show. So first of all, I want to give a big shout out to uh, Connor Geary. He actually gave me a phone call and said he loved what we were doing on the show and on social and that he's very excited for the podcast. So I wanted to say thank you again, man, for tuning in. Your feedback, as always, we appreciate any uh, constructive criticism as well. We will always be trying to make this show better. So second of all, I wanted to give a shout out to all of our our commenters. There was actually too many to comment on. I put out a uh, piece of social content regarding Judge Dredd suits. And it put Urbans against Stallones. And we got we got quite a bit of feedback on that piece of content. And it was split. I looked it up. It was split fairly evenly. I think it leaned a little bit more towards uh, people on social media favored Urbans. Although there were a lot of people for Stallone. And some people even agreed that uh, that would be a great costume for Halloween. CP, if you actually do don that costume, we're going to make something with that. So I don't want to get everybody hyped up but it's very possible. So that's all I have on this week, but I did want to throw it over to you for any shout outs you got. I actually got two I wanted to bring up. One of them was from Alex Nadell, who actually texted me and he said, hey, I finally checked out your podcast, really enjoyed it. And you guys have great radio voices, which thank you. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. (laughs) I always think friends when Joey Tribbiani says that radio is for ugly people. You know, I don't really know where to go with that. (laughs) Also, shout out to Sarang at SDPV. He obviously made a comment last week, hit us up and said, hey, great episode. You guys are doing a great job. Glad you're back. So thank thank you, you, man. Yes, thank you very much. We'll go ahead and jump into our topics this week. So I'm going to throw it over to you, CP. We actually had a couple things to address, uh, you know, concerning Disney. So which is interesting. We're going to get into a little bit of the Disney stuff here. So let's let's kind of let's see where this takes us. Okay. last week, September 8th, was this Disney Plus day. Quite frankly, I don't really understand it because I don't know why suddenly out of nowhere, Disney Plus has their own day. I did a little bit of digging and I don't know. Do you mean like like what do they do? Do they do anything special? Or? Well, that's the thing that I don't understand. On ESPN, the week before, quote unquote, Disney Plus Day, I started seeing all these ads that we needed to tune in for Disney Plus Day because it was going to be this transformative day in streaming. The way that I can understand it is they took Love and Thunder, which had been released in theaters and decided to release it digitally. They okay. released a trailer for Star Wars Andor. They put out some weird kind of like National Geographic content or whatever. And then they released, quote unquote, live action, Robert Zemeckis. Is Pinocchio film. Okay. But that's it. And it doesn't warrant a day, especially since doing some digging, I found out that Disney Plus actually premiered on November 12th, 2019. So it's not even like this is the anniversary of So it's Disney not like Plus. a celebratory day of yeah. like, hey, maybe let's bring back, let's do like a rewind of all the great things that happened on Disney Plus for the last year. Because naturally, I like what comes to my mind when you say Disney Plus Day is something maybe like Cyber Monday or Prime Day on Amazon, where they're doing like retail like sales discounts. 
to increase shopping numbers. Now, I do get the added, hey, we have some new content premiering, but I mean, you don't need Disney Plus Day to do that per se. Seems like a bit of a marketing ploy. And I just think it's weird because they just invented a a day out of nothing. This isn't like the anniversary of of the founding of, of Disney Studios or the Disney Corporation or Walt Disney's birthday. It's not even the anniversary of the freaking streaming service. And when you compare it to Prime Day, which is based around retail, yes, Amazon has evolved Prime Day into something more than just shopping, right? They have their quote unquote concerts stream and they release new content. But the point is, it's uh, the bulk of it is still a retail-based event. It has been since the inception of Prime Day. It's always pretty much like the second Tuesday in July. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why Disney just seemed to wake up and was like, you know what? People need a day and they need a Disney Plus day. More importantly, Disney Plus day doesn't even seem like it's bringing anything to the table. If this was the opportunity to stream a new Mandalorian season, or this is when they decided to release She-Hulk or something, I could see it. But the premiere of one new film doesn't seem enough to build a day around. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the biggest thing is like, right, Thor, Love and Thunder. They're like, oh, it's premiering on Disney Plus, Disney Plus day. But you're like... No, the film already premiered in theaters. We've all seen it. We're Marvel fans. You know, I saw Love and Thunder. So, I mean, yeah, it's coming to Disney+, Plus, but that's, you know, like you said, Pinocchio is actually the only new movie and or it's just a trailer promoting the show. It's not the actual show. Mm -hmm. So that's the only piece of like new content that does not warrant a day. Audience, well, what's your thoughts? But I was pretty, pretty bummed about it. You know, I looked I'm not it up. Even bummed, I was pissed off. Continue. <laughs> I looked it up here, and like, apparently, Disney Plus Day has been incredibly poorly received, both last year and this year. Oh, they did it last year. They did. It ends oh, up that man. last year's though took place in November was actually a reflection of the anniversary. So this year they switched it up. And my guess is, like I said at the top of the episode, they're trying to tie Disney Plus Day into the announcements coming out of D23. That would be my guess because it was leading right up to D23, correct? Didn't D23 start on September 9th? Yeah, so this was the 8th. So my guess is, their thinking is like, let's get everybody kind of amped up. They're watching our properties on Disney Plus, And then we have big announcements about new content coming out all weekend long. That would be my guess as to the thinking for why they would do that. Because the previous year did take place in November. I don't know if it was on the exact day, but it was celebratory of the one year anniversary of Disney Plus, which... Like I said, at least then you can do kind of like a a rewind. You can have fun with the anniversary. You can premiere new content. You can do all kinds of fun things with that. In this case, like you said, I think the real downfall of Disney Plus Day is they only premiered one piece of new content. That's just not worthy of a day. Maybe, you know, you got to like premiere something at 8 a.m. Then you premiere something new. Then you premiere something at like 4. And finally... The biggest movie of the day premieres at 6 p.m. Get your popcorn and all your stuff out and you make it like a watch day. Something that people could really, really appreciate. And it doesn't feel like they've gone to those lengths. They're just fine settling for, you know, hey, everybody come check out what we got on Disney+. Plus. But I do want to say, 
over the three-day period, and I looked this up last year on their anniversary date, they did see subscriber growth over the three days that they were promoting Disney Plus Day exclusively to about 300,000 new subscribers. Now, granted, I don't know how that compares directly to like an average set of three weekdays. What is 300,000 compared to like a random week in like October or even last year in September? Does that, was 300,000? Because, you know, Disney Plus at that time is almost exactly a year old and it's still growing. So I would assume that like 300,000 is complimentary to a certain amount of people that are signing up every day anyway. Disney Plus did see apparently a subscriber jump during those three days. So to them, maybe just putting a little bit of marketing and branding behind Disney Plus gives them a little subscriber bump. That's got to be their true motivation here. How do we get more subscribers? Yeah. And I just think it's such a good opportunity that if you you should really make it like a very kind of special day. It should be really cool for viewers. We should be excited about going to Disney Plus today. I don't know, do some live streams on yeah. Disney Plus with like the content creators. Bring in some of the biggest stars on Marvel and, you know, Star Wars or even some of the Disney live action flicks. Have them do interviews on Disney Plus like you know, I'm not saying turn Disney Plus into YouTube per se, but I mean, really take advantage of the platform you got. I feel like there's a there's a great opportunity here for more. My thought is I kept thinking back to when everyone actually used to watch broadcast television. They used to do a really good job of when fall seasons of sitcoms came back. It was an event counting down to this is the premiere week. And they'd have yeah. like their what must see Thursdays or whatever. Which NBC. Top, yeah, right. Top lineup of shows. Must see TV. I feel like this is what Disney Plus Day should have been. This is the new series of shows. On this day, we're going to drop three or four anticipated things that you care about. What an awesome opportunity to use Disney Plus Day, if nothing else. Instead of dropping the Netflix Marvel series back in June, like they did kind of obscurely, why don't you build to it and say, no, they're coming back and they're going to all premiere on Disney Plus the same day it's Disney Plus Day. Just is such a wasted opportunity to do something amazing. I I know personally, I'm a big behind the scenes content guy. Like I love documentary. My favorite documentaries of all time detail how Star Wars is made. I've literally probably watched how Star Wars is made in different, you know, documentaries like five or six times. Like it fascinates. I love all that. To that end, I do know on Disney Plus Day, in addition, they did debut a, I forget exactly what they called it, but it's like the return of a of a Jedi. And it's about the Obi-Wan show coming back. And yes. It's like an hour long documentary. And that I will actually check out. I just love all that content. I know they did, they did a behind the scenes thing on Disney Plus on The Mandalorian. And they talk about this thing they have yeah. called The Void or something like that, where they can set up all the stuff. I mean, it just blows my mind. When you're into filmmaking, I'm like, wow. And John Favreau pushing boundaries. I'm like right in the vein of George Lucas. I love it. Disney Plus, I'm just saying like, hey, keep some of the behind the scenes content coming. I actually really enjoy that accompanying some of the shows and movies that you have on your platform. I know hopefully I'm speaking directly to Disney executives now. But they all listen to this show. Yeah, you know, hopefully that's the case. I do think there's just an opportunity there for kind of a little bit of a lost art, which is if you go back maybe 10, 15 years, when you bought a DVD, it used to come with all these bonus features. I feel like none of the streaming platforms incorporate those into their actual title line. 
Meaning that like if I click on Star Wars, it'll have suggested underneath, but that's about it. It doesn't have all the bonus features that came with the DVD box set back in the day. And I feel like if you're Disney Plus and you have all this stuff saved in your archives, maybe look at bolstering Disney Plus a little with some of that additional stuff underneath each of your titles. I don't know. I, I think that I think you bring up a good point because 99% of the pieces of content you click on, right, gives you that little option to click more. And most of the more is just a trailer for the film you just watched. Yeah, exactly. And, it's and you're right. These studios have so much content that they created during the DVD boom yep. and the need to fill DVDs with as much content as you could. I mean, that's just wasted content. Put it somewhere. Let people watch it. One of my favorites, like right now we had talked, you know, in a previous episode that Rings of Power is back. If you bought the special extended edition of the Lord of the Rings box sets, which were amazing. They looked great. They looked like leather bound books. I mean, it was amazing. They came with an actual flip book in it. It was, it was so cool. You really felt like you were getting something special on that DVD box set. And the movies didn't disappoint either. There was, I think in all of them, a fairly decent amount of extra footage added in the movies. More than that, they had a uh, the journey to Middle Earth or something mm -hmm. like that documented how they made Lord of the Rings. I mean, that documentary is amazing. And the other day when Rings of Power was coming out, I was looking for it just because I wanted to watch it. Not for this show, not anything. I was just interested in re-watching this documentary on how they made Lord of the Rings. Well, I couldn't find it anywhere. There were clips and stuff on YouTube, but I couldn't find the documentary in its entirety. Technically, I do have it because I own those box sets, but I don't have a DVD player hooked up in my house anywhere. So I couldn't watch it. I would love to see like, you know, on Disney Plus Day, maybe make a really cool announcement about a new feature coming to Disney Plus, right? Now with the addition of, of Thor Love and Thunder launching, you also include underneath the bonus stuff. I don't know. I just think that would separate you from Netflix, from Amazon, because you're Disney. You own all that behind the scene footage, all the archives. It's all yours. That separates you from yeah. other streaming services. Netflix, they have their own stuff and they can do that on select titles, but they don't own all the content that's on there. They don't get access to all the bonus behind the scenes stuff. Disney can have it. It's theirs. And one of the things that really sets Disney aside from so many other studios is the legacy of innovation. I was watching the Pinocchio film the other day. I watched it on the disc and the disc has all the original content creating this innovative animated film. And you're like, most Where is of that the studios can't do that. Why is Disney not shoving that stuff out so everyone can check it out? Oh, I would check all that stuff out. I love all that. You know what I, you know what I definitely cannot wait for? And I hope this documentary comes and I hope it comes in the same level of gravitas that like the last dance did with Michael Jordan. I swear to God, I will watch the documentary on Zack Snyder's Justice League. Like there's <laughs> gotta be some footage and there's got to be some interviews that can be done about the craziness surrounding Justice League. I, if they put that in theaters, I think I would go watch that. Just with all the, the infighting and division the, within Warner Media at the time, like it would be a great- The story. fan campaign, restore the Snyder Cut and like all of it. I mean, I'm here for that documentary. So, and that may <laughs> not even be produced by Warner Brothers or DC. I'm guessing <laughs> that'll have to be a third party guy that's like, we got to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, right. But I'm here for that. I love sports documentaries and all that so i just think a feature like that or you know on disney plus day really kind of what would separate your streaming service from other streaming services what would make you guys it's like wow you know if you if you also want all those sort of bonus features disney plus day is the opportunity to really kind of beef up your streaming service and do things that other people probably can't even do that sort of brings me to my next thing i wanted to talk about which is this whole concept of disney live action remakes disney plus day they premiered the 
Pinocchio live action remake. D23, they finally gave us the first shots of Ariel in the Little Mermaid live action remake. And I got to yep. ask you, D-Man, why are they doing this? Easy answer is just money. Oh, um, they I own, didn't realize that. They own the properties. I think it does go a little bit beyond that. There are elements to these remakes that I think are worthy of discussion. For instance, remaking the movies gives them an opportunity to introduce these same Disney classic stories to a new generation. And it also, in a weird way, gives you know an opportunity for us 90s kids, who a lot of us now have kids, to experience those stories we grew up on with our kids. I do think there's an element of especially what any project John Favreau's on of pushing technological boundaries. I'm sure Disney did put a lot of money behind something like The Lion King and it paid off. They made a lot of money. They were able to try new things and, and do new things. And Lion King's perfect example of like live action remake is there like one non CGI shot in that movie. I'm not here. Like I love special effects. So I'm here for it. I'm not here to knock on. No, it's you know, stupid though because they even brought back, you know, James Earl Jones to play Mufasa again. It's almost the same movie, right? They went for the same visual style. And I think that that's my thing. If you're going to make a live action adaptation of an animated film, you should proceed with the intentions of making it as practical and live action as a manageable. Instead of just going through and taking CGI to create similar backgrounds and settings as in the animated film and taking shots that are almost identical to the shots from the original animated film. I'm like, if you're going to make a live action remake, take the advantage of everything you have making live action narrative and tell yeah. that story, make it slightly different. And from my perspective, the only one that in any way really seemed different to me Jungle Book film that John Favre did, which kind of kicked off the whole idea of the live action remake. To me, I'm not a fan of remakes that are shot for shot remakes, particularly the, the newer ones, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, the Disney Renaissance films, Lion King. They've borderline just been like, hey, we're just going to like redo this exact same movie on a new palette. And it, I just don't think it adds a lot to the narrative. For me personally, I have watched some of these now because for a long time I had, I, I just wasn't interested in it. And I have watched them, especially now that I have a Disney Plus subscription. They're there. I can watch them. For me, if we name those movies, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, and we're going to get to Pinocchio later, by and large, prefer the animated versions. Now, part of that is not necessarily a knock on the live action versions. I actually think when you look at some of what's being done in the animated movies, I think there's things that work well in animated movies, right? Like talking lions. I just think it just works yeah. better as an animated feature versus trying to make photorealistic lions talk. You know, yeah. I... <laughs> yeah, no, you know, that's a good like, point. There's elements in these movies, like some of it I think could and did actually look pretty cool. Like for instance, a flying carpet. I don't see why you couldn't do something like that in like a live action. You know, Aladdin kind of lends itself to that. But certain elements, it's just, I think some of these movies would perform better as animated features. The other element of these films that just baffles me is uh, I don't even feel like the effort to be like live action fully comes across. Sometimes they still almost feel cartoony. Like, yeah. do you get that vibe too? No, like, and I think that's what I was trying to say about the live action remake still feels grounded so much in the original animated work. And I'm like, take advantage of what you can do in live action that you can't do in animation. 
information. It's so a different and, and medium. Use it to the full. I do have to give a tip of the cap to some of them, you know, like for instance, one movie, it's not actually a remake, but it does derive its material from old Disney classics. It's something like Cruella, where the story is it's somewhat of an original take on that character and adds a new dimension. Now, is that Disney's highest performing live action remake? I'm guessing not. I'm guessing it's the one that's a shot for shot remake, which is The Lion King. I do happen to have all of the movies here on my iPod Ooh. or my iPad. So Ooh, let me see which okay. one, which one made the most money. Yep. It actually is The Lion King. Domestically, it made $543 million. Internationally or combined, it made $1,656,000,000. The Lion King oh, by man. far. Only three of them grossed $1,000,000,000 at the box office, and you can guess them. In order, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. And the Lion King. You mean like the so, three best animated films that they had? But if each of those gross over a billion dollars, I'm guessing combined probably somewhere closer to four billion dollars. So, I mean, that definitely explains why Disney would do it. Pull, pull up your iPod. iPad. Yeah. Look up the, from I think it was 2000. Do you remember they did the live action 101 Dalmatians movie? Okay, yes. See I what that gross. Because again, I don't think that was a good movie. And I think a lot of fans are disappointed. One thing that- close one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. You're looking at domestically, it grossed $136 million. And that actually was 1996, which oh. is, that's a lot of money. No, that's in a 96. solid like 1990 box office. Yeah, 1990 box office worldwide, 101 Dalmatians, $320 million. Okay, so it was successful. It warranted a sequel. And that sequel, 102 Dalmatians in the year 2000 which you spoke of grossed 66 million domestically and 183 worldwide so did not do as well but that tends to be the case with most sequels unless you got something like a trilogy coming out or for that matter you're experimenting with long-term franchises like the mcu or you top know, gun or something yeah yeah you know like most of the time sequels you know the traditional sequel style just doesn't perform as well but i can see why you know even that the 101 Dalmatians, $360 million in 1996. That's a lot of money. Well, the interesting thing about that as a remake, though, was that didn't lean into the aspects of the animated film, right? The dogs were in it, but the dogs didn't talk. And I mean, the great thing about the animated 101 Dalmatians is talking Pongo. Yeah. So they they did with that, and maybe it was a product of the time and and CG technology not being good enough to make dogs talk, that it was just a movie about dogs being dogs right yeah anyway, i don't know to me i i look at certain elements like i think aladdin lends itself to potentially being adapted into a live action remake i'm not hating on the concept of it at all like i think it's disney's ip and they can do whatever they want with it and if they want to print money do it with a good kind of nostalgia hook and, and share these stories with the younger generations all the more power to them i'm not hating on it i think yeah something like lion king it, it just doesn't appeal to me because i'm like man and then the other thing too is like, I've seen, I actually watched, like I said, I watch a lot of behind the scenes content and I watched <laughs> YouTube videos on this stuff because I'm fascinated by it. Even the shot selection, and this is not to meant, this is not meant to be a knock on any of the filmmakers, but like there's the scene in The Lion King where like the stampede comes down, Simba's sitting in the gorge. And in the animated version, I mean, the scale, like it zooms in on, on Simba's face and you see like the horror in his eyes. And the music kicks in and then they show that same scene in the live action version. It just does not capture that same sense of scale of scope. 
it's just one of those things where I'm like, I just think the animated one does it better. I, I do, I think in almost every single instance, prefer the animated versions better. I grew up with that, so I can't be, I can't say that I'm a non-biased <laughs> critic here. Like, those are the ones I saw first. Those are the ones that I grew up and loved. And those are the ones that I'll probably share with my own kids, hopefully one day. I, I guess it's not the worst thing that they're remaking classics. I think it, it heightens that idea that people criticize Hollywood with that they're like, oh, do they have any original ideas? All they do is just put out remakes and mine the same IP over and over again. That This is like that to, to 10. <laughs> well, if you remember back in, I think, 2010, 2011, Disney got the great idea that you could print money by showing the same film that people already spent money on again in 3D. And they yeah. re-released The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, I think Aladdin. I guess what I wonder is, why not continue that trend? If you're making money showing people a movie they already want to see, which is what we talked about on last week's episode, why not just reissue the Disney classics on the big screen so it's an opportunity for parents to again share the same film with their children that they grew up on? That's a good point. I don't know. Disney will probably... I, I mean, wish... it's a lot. It's a hell of a lot cheaper to just convert to Cinderella 3D. through the processing and make the 3D version and charge everybody 16 bucks to go see it as opposed to going out and shooting a brand new Cinderella. I mean, they're doing, like you said, they just actually showed a clip from D23 of The Little Mermaid. And I mean, I'm guessing it will follow in the same track as all these other ones where, you know, it'll be pretty close to the animated version. I mean, I think another thing that with the Disney films that really sticks with us and makes each one feel the same is the, the musical set pieces and yeah. the songs that are in each one. I think those elements make each one feel very like the Disney version. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of these are their old fables, you know, not necessarily the Lion King, but the, the one that stands out the most is probably well, Beauty and the Beast. Well, I mean, Lion King's Hamlet, right? But like, it's really the songs that mm -hmm. kind of, I guess, Disneyfy those old fables that make them a version that just can't be replicated by anyone else. And it feels to me a little bit like when you just redo the same musical set pieces and the same songs again and again... It, I don't know if it's, you're just not that different. True. That brings me to the last thing that I think we need to talk about on this episode. And I think we need to bring back a segment from before. I think this is the perfect opportunity for us to get into a little bit of movie remake time and decide who did it better. The original 1940s animated classic, Pinocchio. Check that out, right? Can you see that? That's pretty cool. Well, I can see it. You got the uh, holographic going on right there. Or 2022 Robert Zemeckis live, quote unquote, action Pinocchio film. The first thing that stands out to me was actually that Robert Zemeckis directed this film and Tom Hanks starred in it as Geppetto. They actually got some pretty quality what? names as oh voice actors. Yeah. So I think understandably, I was kind of interested in the project, watched some of the Disney remakes. I'm like, I like Pinocchio. That's a film I grew up with. I think it was one of the first movies they put out on like VHS back when they mined their vault back in like yeah. the 80s. So, you know, it was, it was kind of a big deal to see like, hey, they're going to redo. Here's the thing. Again, Pinocchio is a lot like Beauty and the Beast. That's not exclusively like a Disney film. So when I think of the Disney one, there's a certain aesthetic, a certain feel to it that I think works really well. And when they got these big name people to come on board, I thought, okay, here we go. All right, we're really going to go for it. The A-list, the Hollywood A-list. After having viewed it, I guess the easiest word to say is disappointed. I did not really care for the remake. There were a few things that stood out to me the most that kind of bothered me about the remake. And the first is actually Geppetto. I did not 
really like the character. At the beginning of the movie, spoiler alert, they add a little element as to why he creates Pinocchio. It's associated with him having lost his wife and son. And I just did not find it sympathetic at all. I kind of found it creepy. I don't know. He just felt kind of creepy. Not to say that Tom Hanks kind of... Is a creeper is what you're trying to say. No, like his genial portrayal of this old man who's just ecstatic to have someone to care about in his life again because he's attached to his fish and his cat and his clocks and all this stuff. But I just didn't find it believable. I actually really like the animated version where he's actually just kind of this quirky old guy who like this magical thing kind of happens to and he's he's just ecstatic about it. Mm-hmm. You know, wow, this is cool. And here, I don't know, it just came across as like, I don't know, man, like move on with your life. No offense. <laughs> but mm-hmm. like, again, I'm not trying to get into like how people should grieve or anything like that. It just came across that way where I was like, yeah, I mean, if we could all have magic star wishes, like that would be cool. But like, I don't know, you got to like grieve your family's deaths like this is weird i didn't like it the second thing was i don't know if this is just me but did you feel the animation in this so like the animated characters for instance uh jiminy cricket the cat some of the the even pinocchio himself they're like brightly colored it almost felt like roger rabbit i didn't think that pinocchio was so bad and again i like the fact that they made him look like animated pinocchio because obviously there's been other live action pinocchios and sometimes pinocchio is actually super creepy i mean the concept is kind of creepy for the cat for the fish for jiminy cricket it it did look weird to me like there's a shot at the end of the movie where they're being chased by the whale and they're in the boat who's not a whale in this movie i know he's an actual sea monster which again a change for change's sake i was like you're already (laughs) like shot for shot remaking this movie like why even bother but whatever and anyway there's a shot where geppetto's leaning against the boat as pinocchio's pedaling in the back and jiminy cricket gets he like flies up to the front of the boat next to his head and he's like his umbrella's like hanging onto the side of the boat and i was like this looks like roger rabbit yeah it doesn't even look like they're trying to blend the two elements there's shots of them when they're in the ocean that look majestic like it's out of a painting and then there's other shots where i'm like it looks like you just shot this against like dark colored water and i was like these are not they're not mixing right Yeah, yeah some of that type stuff i just i didn't think it worked ultimately at the end it just didn't feel like the ending itself paid out the way it should it felt very okay it's over jimmy cricket comes back and he's like oh who knows if pinocchio truly turned into a real boy but we know he was at his heart and then just goes away and i was like all right (laughs) i wasn't too thrilled i thought the scene where the fairy turned him into a real boy was weird for one there's like this blue light that shoots out of the sky and i was like this is sort of creepy yeah like lasers off the photo of the dead son and then she comes down and she's like almost a fairy in train she's like oh i forgot to do this and this and this at first he's only like a mime and he's not alive i just didn't like that scene obviously this is one of my favorite animated movies i think part of it is the animation's really beautiful yeah it, right. it's really amazing what they did you could tell some, how they were... some people truly do pick pinocchio as the greatest animated classic of all time i mean yeah, that's like... where that's where it's at in the listing is for some it is the best animated film ever made i mean considering it's all hand drawn the levels and the layers to the story and the details you know all these little minuscule pieces of detail in every shot i think it's really impressive i understand that disney kind of disneyified the story of pinocchio which is like the best-selling italian story of all time 
Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. super creepy. But I think they do a good job of taking this story. Uh, Pinocchio is naive and he's innocent and he is exposed to the horrors of the world and expected to find his way. The first version of the movie, yeah, it kind of jumps around. I think it's more true to that concept than the remake in my mind. Mm. Part of it is I like the fact that the fairy comes throughout the story as the guide to help Pinocchio and Jiminy get back on track. I mean, Jiminy Cricket has himself has the conscience. It's not this perfect character, right? He messes up all the time. You know, he's a vagabond. You know, yeah, and he's... he's selfish and he's like, oh, well, if he's going to be a big star, I didn't want to be his friend anyway, right? He messes up just like Pinocchio does and that's why they both end up in these situations the whole time. The other thing, though, that I thought was really weird to me was in the animated version, when they go to Pleasure Island, it's really creepy. Yeah. Oh, but it's yeah. exactly what you can imagine if you were to allure these kids and be like, hey, do you want to go like do all the stuff your parents won't let you do? What are they doing? They're playing pool. They're smoking. Yeah, they're drinking. Like, they're fighting. You do drink um, though, right? Yeah. 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 When they go to Pleasure Island in the new one, it is just a kid's theme park with kids. Yeah. I just didn't think that that was the right. And I understand Disney doesn't want to be encouraging. That's kind of the point of the story is it's not encouraging that. It's, it's actually showing you why that should not be. Right. It's, it's supposed to be these kids in Pinocchio are, you know, being allured into this temptation of these things they shouldn't do. They pay the consequences when they all turn into jackasses. Yeah. <laughs> in this one, it's, so what That's you're telling amazing. me is you're, you're a bunch of kids who go to a theme park, eat too much candy and get turned into jackasses. Which is super ironic considering Disney's footprint in theme parks. <laughs> yeah, right? I didn't get that. I didn't like it. I didn't like the fact that Monstro was a sea monster. I mean, you know I hate whales, and it probably stems from this movie. Shout out to Lori. This movie. <laughs> At least them getting eaten by an angry whale was a little... As believable as a movie is with wooden puppets coming to life and magic fairies and talking crickets. The sea monster was the one thing that I was like, it just it, it doesn't work. Well, and in my opinion, that's like one of those things when you do remakes or, you know, you're you're kind of taking a different take on a classic tale or something. When you make changes like that, like why? Was there any reason to have tentacles and all this stuff? Like, did anything actually happen in the story? Did you do it for visuals? Because honestly, I didn't think it looked as cool as just, you know, the, the big whale. I, I always ask, like, what was the what was the addition? If you make him a sea monster... Monstro, and then you have like a really exciting sequence that couldn't have happened otherwise happen. I'm like, all right, I really, I love it better when he was the whale, but damn, if that wasn't cool, it was totally worth it for the change because we got this. That's what I'm always looking for. If you're going to change anything major is like, what are you adding, expanding on that could be better? And it just didn't feel like that added anything. Well, and I also feel like the whale is such an iconic part of the story that I'm like, why is that the element that you're changing? And here's the other thing too. When Disney's making these remakes and they're adhering to the original animated versions, almost shot for shot, you're like, why the, why would you change that? You're I, literally I, like adhering so closely to the original works. Like a few things, like you said, maybe the theme park element, that's Disney's corporate bra brass being like, hey, this is 2022 and we got to be sensitive to this. We stuff. can't have like, kids smoking cigars. Yeah. I think it does does come at the expense of the story but sure i get why mm -hmm. you made that decision this it was like i don't i don't yeah it's weird i don't understand you know i i personally was not a huge fan of the actual animation even of pinocchio just because 
I, I got the impression that it was literally my my visual cues were, you know, who framed Roger Rabbit. It was animated Pinocchio dropped in virtual realistic settings. And I get it, even when he's walking around and like the foxes are there or the, you know, the wolves, I forget their names, yeah. Gideon or- An honest John. It, like, I get it. We're in a world where these guys are walking around town like they're just casual people. That's fine. It's just, I don't know, visually something about it was striking. Like, I guess- if you were just going to go Who Frame Roger Rabbit, I wish they'd just gone all the way. So then there were two other things that I didn't really get about the film. They're both tied into the end. I don't know what Zemeckis' reasoning was. You already talked about the one, the end where Jiminy is like, we don't know if he became a real boy or not. Seems stupid to me. It's implied, in, but yeah. In the sense that if you're like, this is too much of a stretch for an audience, a puppet turning to real life. I mean, let's consider the fact that he's a puppet who comes alive. We have a sea monster. We have a talking cricket. <laughs> we left. <laughs> That would be totally like, unrealistic. For example, The Rock came out with his version of Hercules like six years ago. And in it, it kind of plays with this concept of mythology, but like what's actually the fact behind. But my problem is they're not doing that with Pinocchio. It's not like we're trying to set up this Pinocchio in a world where we think that it's this, but it's really, this is what's actually happening to make it believe. This is a story souped in fairies and magic. Why don't we just end with the end as an audience that we're looking for, which is him finally becoming actually real for Geppetto's sake, for Pinocchio's sake, for everything. I don't know why we didn't go there. It's the, I thought it was stupid. The other thing was in the animated Pinocchio, if you remember the ending of the film, Pinocchio actually, well, Geppetto thinks he dies. He sacrifices himself to save Geppetto. And at the end, he ends up in a puddle and they think he drowned. Yeah, yeah. And they take him back and they're all sad that Pinocchio died. We don't quite get that. And I no. think that for the Pinocchio arc to be complete, where he has to be unselfish, he has to be truthful, brave, and unselfish. That's what the fairy says to become a real boy. Mm -hmm. You know, we see him in the movie, learn to be truthful. But at the end, where he's brave and unselfish by sacrificing himself to save his father, it doesn't really play out the same way in the live action one where he kind of saves Geppetto's life, but not at the expense of anything. Does that make sense? Yeah, that and at the actual end of the movie, it's Geppetto who ends up in the puddle and not Pinocchio. Yeah. Again, to what end? I think that was a, a very powerful moment. That's often how a lot of fables do end is, you know, main characters do commit acts of self-sacrifice or, you know, unselfish acts. He does that for sure. It's just that the switched story element kind of, you're like, huh. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I hope Geppetto's alive. Yeah. <laughs> But like, it's not the same as him sacrificing himself. So for me, I just, I didn't think it was as powerful of a film. Is there anything redeemed here that you think superior to the animated version? Well, I thought Zemeckis did two things here that I thought worked well. It's kind of goofy in the animated one, how pretty much Pinocchio pops up and he's like, I'm alive. First thing Geppetto does is he's like, well, you should go to school. And I'm like, do you really want to go send this wooden puppet who was a block of wood two days ago out into the world? Like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> and, and so Geppetto, like like in the Zemeckis version, Geppetto spends more time with Pinocchio. Yeah, it's like a time lapse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, that's... And then they reach the point where he goes to school and that's what kicks off the adventure. And you're like, okay, that's just a little more believable. Like, you've given him some skills to survive in the real world. Thank you, Geppetto. Yeah. The other thing that they do is they try, I felt, 
to make Pinocchio much more skeptical of the characters that he encounters. Thought and that not was naive. Because he's so naive in the first one. He's like, well, Honest John says he's honest. Like, and he just blindly follows anyone <laughs> who talks to him. Whereas in this one, he's more skeptical of the coachman. He's skeptical of girl that works for Stromboli. He's skeptical of Honest John. I thought that that was more of a realistic approach. Yeah, rewatching the original, I did laugh a little bit at just Pinocchio's naivete. Like, I understand, right? He's just being introduced to everything and he's kind of accepting it as is. Does come across a little bit. He's like, well, you know, (laughs) he says he's honest. I should trust him. And I'm like, in some ways, I totally get it. I understand the point of this story is as an old fable, it's meant to teach young kids the correct values to help them grow into proper young boys. It was just funny because, yeah, I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, are kids like that? (laughs) Are they? like oh yeah and I'm like yeah. oh shoot maybe they are I mean I don't have any kids so I can't say for sure but you know in my mind that's what I was thinking when I was watching the, the animated one was I was like man do kids really walk up and you're like oh hey like come with me and they're like okay but <laughs> <laughs> no skepticism at all I so I don't know. Hopefully, if anything, the new one teaches kids like, hey, just be skeptical of any strangers who come up to you anywhere. So the other thing, too, was like, I did think when Geppetto sends Pinocchio off to school, he's like, he like literally gives him like directions. He's like, hey, we're down here from the fountain. And I was like, I would never do that with my kid. I, I just wouldn't trust him. It's like a generational thing. Kids all the time used to like walk to school in cities and that's how it was. And today we're like, we just wouldn't do that. <laughs> like, yeah, you're not just going out there. And- there were some fun elements. It was there there was a little bit of nostalgia for me just getting to see Pinocchio again. It's been a while since I've actually watched it. It was fun to go back. Obviously, I think Disney actually adapted the, what's the star song? Uh, Starlight. Wish Upon a Star. Yeah, Wish Upon a Star. That's actually like part of Disney's brand theme music now incorporated. So, you know, it was cool to go back and see some of those elements. I definitely felt that the stakes were a lot higher with the whale in the animated version. It almost felt like a foregone conclusion in the live action version that like when they got there, they're like, when he breathes, we'll just go out. In the animated one, I felt like they were almost not resigned to death, but they were like, we don't... When he gets swallowed up, you're like, whoa, yeah. It's pretty desolate inside there. And what an epic shot, too. I don't know. I mean... (laughs) I guess this isn't my own words, but this is from a reviewer that I I looked up anticipation of this podcast episode. And he basically described the new Pinocchio as a scene that happens while Pinocchio is walking to school. He was like, Pinocchio walks up to a pile of poop and looks at it quizzically and is like, what is that? And he's like, that's how I felt about this film. I don't know why it's here. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but it's intriguing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just weird. And I mean, again, when you think about the fact that Robert Zemeckis is helming this project with Tom Hanks, Legendary. Joseph Gordon, Legendary actor, yeah. You know, who was it? Luke Evans. I just, I guess I was expecting more and I wanted to like, no, I wanted to hate it. I'm not going to lie. I actually I wanted said. to like it. I was excited to watch it. I had high hopes. You know, I mean, obviously like Tom Hanks, he's probably, I think I was talking about this like the other day. He's like my favorite actor. He's in so many movies that I love. You know, I was excited, like I said, from the trailer and all of that. So I, I was kind of pumped. I was like, all right, let's 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 give it a shot here. Ultimately, going full circle right now, like all the other Disney live action remakes, I do prefer the animated version. They have yet to truly impress me beyond the animated version, with the exception maybe being Jungle Book, which I, I really enjoyed. That one I liked. I think I have to agree completely. Animated Pinocchio is hands down better than live action Pinocchio and seems to be oh, the case for most of these. The live action movies are not going away either. These are these are coming out. We got Little Mermaid coming up. Like you said, there's uh, Cinderella. 
There's what's uh, Peter Pan. They got a Peter Pan one coming out. They got, like, I think they're even doing, I, I saw they're doing another version of Lion King called Mufasa Lion King. And that's going to be a live action. What so, is Mufasa <laughs> Lion King? I'm kind of curious now. No, I'm actually interested in that because I feel like here we have like a new original story. Maybe it's, I don't know if it's an origin story for Mufasa or it covers sections of his reign, but I'm like, all right, I'm down for new content. I mean, we all want more Mufasa. Like that's, yeah. that's a gift. Like, if, you, if, you, if you can still, you know, if James Earl Jones is still ready to rock the voice, bring it on. I'm like, that I could get on board with. That kind of got me excited. We'll see. I, you know, these just straight for straight remakes, you know, it, it's just not my cup of tea. I would be interested to get to take a poll and see what young kids, people of mm. this generation think. For instance, oh, this is where we go. This is where we go full circle. Star Wars, for instance, the older generation, when the prequel trilogy came out, they, they hated it. They got this visceral negative reaction. But the kids who watch the prequel trilogy and have grown up with it and, and are older now, there's a great appreciation for the prequel trilogy, especially the, the canon and all the work that's been done to build up around it. Yeah, I wonder if the kids today see these movies and to them, this is like our 90s classics, right? These are the versions that are yeah, the definitive maybe. versions for them. So like I said, I'm not here to knock on those. I feel like the animated ones have a special place in my heart and that's where I'll leave it. I think this is a perfect time to wrap it. Audience, if you watch the new Pinocchio or you watch the old Pinocchio, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to talk about it. And if you want to keep the conversations going, be sure to do so on social media. You can find all of our accounts at filmmakerscompass.com. You can also subscribe to the show on YouTube and all major podcast directories. I am at Big Kid Demon. I am at IndieCal5. We will be back next week with a brand new episode of the Filmmakers Compass podcast. So keep watching movies. We'll see you back here next week.